Hi folks, welcome to the Queers Hug Trees podcast. This is Allegra. And this is Emily. Um, we're here to host a collaborative exploration of the links between queerness and environmental justice. We're asking what it means to be queer in the environmental justice movement, how we can address barriers to queer environmentalism, and what the environmental movement can learn from queer justice struggles. Our title puts together two previously derogatory terms for gender and sexually diverse people and for environmental activists. We're really here to reclaim those narratives, reclaim those terms, and go on a disruptive knowledge journey to queer climate, biodiversity, and other environmental conversations. Hello, folks. This week, we're dropping a mini episode because something that's going on in the news. Um, before we get into that, my name's Emily, and this is Allegra here. Do we want to start with introductions? Yeah, that's perfect. Great. Yeah. Uh, my name is Allegra. I use she, her pronouns. I identify as bisexual. And I am currently in Toronto. I'm a student going to U of T. Yeah. My name is Emily. Uh, I use they, Z pronouns. Um, I am a white settler living in Toronto, originally from Tooth and Squamish territories in Western Canada. Um, I think important for this podcast to note, I have family in the prairies, um, specifically in Alberta and Saskatchewan, quite a bit of it. And yeah, that's me. Okay. Thank you. So, I mean, this podcast is being recorded about a week after some big news happened in Alberta, and it'll probably be released within another week or so. Um, so, Allegra, have you been following what's been going on a little bit? Not a ton. So if you could fill me in, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, so... Premier Danielle Smith, the Premier of Alberta, um, announced on social media with a, a video that was over seven minutes long, I think it was like seven minutes and 30 seconds, a suite of policies that attack trans rights. Um, <clears throat> and this was something that we kind of knew had been coming after um, their party's convention, but a lot of people, I think, expected the policies to be similar to what's already happened in Saskatchewan and New Brunswick. And so the gist of it is these policies are far-reaching, really big attacks on trans and queer rights. So I guess I'll, I'll just dive right into it. Yeah. We've been watching anti-trans legislation grow across the United States for years now. Um, almost every month you can see a whole suite of anti-trans bills in different U.S. states. And Canadians often like to say that we're not great, but we're better than the States. Right. But the hate does not stop at the border. And increasingly, we've been seeing this trend in Canada. Yeah, yeah. So a couple specific things. Um, in August of 2023, the Saskatchewan provincial government announced that teachers must now seek parental consent before young people under 16 can change their names or pronouns in school. New Brunswick then joined this trend in the summer of 2023 as well, and they changed their policy 713 on pronoun and name use in schools, and they made it mandatory for young people under 16 to get parental consent before verbally changing their names or pronouns in school. Um, so this, this started to happen in Canada over the summer. Um, and on January 31st, this was the day that Danielle Smith announced the new, um, the new policies, the proposed policies, uh, Alberta joined this kind of movement and part of its proposed policies included um, needing parental consent for children and youth to get their name changed and to get their pronouns changed in school. Um, but these policies didn't stop there. They ranged from 
uh, access to life-saving medical care, things like puberty blockers, um, to participation in sports, to access to sex education. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to start, because this has been such a trend across Canada, let's start with name and pronoun changes. Um, I don't know, is there anything what you want to add to that kind of intro and like what your reactions are to learning that that's happening in Canada? Yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't know it was so widespread. I actually just thought that it was in only certain provinces. I didn't know that was on the East Coast as well. Um, so that is really exp- surprising to me. Um, yeah, and I have some other reactions, but yeah, maybe tell me more. So, I mean, for Alberta, just the specifics of it is that if you're under the age of 15 or you're 15, you have to get parental consent for a name or pronoun change. If you're 16 or 17, you don't have to get consent, but the school's still going to notify your parents. So up until the age of 18, parents have to get notified. There has been no timeline set for when these are going to be implemented in Alberta, but they are proposed and they are getting pushed forward. Okay, so these are actual, like, policies that people will... There will be consequences if teachers don't follow, if schools don't follow these. That's crazy. That is wild. And it creates a really tough situation for teachers, of course, because they're having to decide whether to betray their students' trust or, you know, like risk their jobs. Um, And I can I also add that I think I think that's also just wild in the fact that a lot of as I understand it, a lot of the conversation around people being resistant to changing pronouns is because they don't want their freedom of speech to be impacted by like laws that require you to use the right pronouns and that sort of thing. Um, And then we have laws that are inhibiting free speech by requiring the wrong pronouns or the wrong names or that sort of thing. But it's like very hypocritical. Very hypocritical, crazy. But I just want to outline why the policies around name changes and pronoun changes are so harmful. So for trans, non-binary, and gender queer youth, there are kind of three scenarios that I really see emerging. Um, the first one is you feel pressure to come out to your parents because your word is going to happen inevitably, um, that you're going to be forced out. And this creates a really dangerous situation for many queer and trans youth. Um, so in Premier Smith's messaging, she said that or she suggested that it is very rare when parents don't accept their queer or trans kids. Um, Specifically, I'll quote her, we know that nearly all parents, even those who may disagree with the decision of their children, will love and care for their children no matter what choices they make. But research shows that this is adamantly not true. And I think if you're queer, you know this is adamantly not true. So... A couple of stats on this. Um, researchers Augustus Klein and Sarit Gulub published an article in 2016 entitled Family Rejection as a Predictor of Suicide Attempts and Substance Misuse Among Transgender and Gender Nonconforming Adults. Not only did they find that family rejection is regular among many trans and gender nonconforming people, they also found that this type of rejection can increase someone's risk of suicide or drug abuse when it happens. And so forcing kids out of the closet forces them to face this kind of family rejection, often when they're not ready, and often when it can be very dangerous for them. Mm-hmm. Um, the ACLU says that, quote, trans people are much more likely to be abused by their immediate family based on their gender identity, 
and high risks of abuse and family rejection mean trans youth are overrepresented in foster care homes, juvenile detention centers, and homeless shelters. They also say, quote, not every child can be their true selves at home without risking their physical or emotional well-being. And this is exactly true. When trans kids are forced out to a family that rejects them, this is a huge predictor of so many health problems and huge risks to their safety. Um, so that's, that's kind of the first, I guess, scenario when kids feel pressure to come out when they're not safe. The other thing is that they could be forcibly outed by their schools if they're trying to use their pronouns and not tell their family. And that, again, creates that unsafe environment. And then the last one is that a lot of kids may feel pressure to stay in the closet and not have anywhere that their real pronouns and real names are being used. And again, we know that queer kids have hugely terrible mental health outcomes. Being forced to stay in the closet everywhere, that can only make it worse. And so um, schools can sometimes be the first place where a young person feels safe coming out. So there's a 2018 article in the Journal of Adolescent Health that documents that when trans youth are able to use their chosen names in one additional context, this is associated with a, quote, 29% decrease in suicidal ideation and a 56% decrease in suicidal behavior. That's huge. That's huge. Right? So imagine taking that away, taking yeah. that one space where you can be yourself yeah. away. That's what's at risk right now. Um, I mean, like first names and, and pronouns are sometimes like the first part of your gender journey. Like for me starting to explore pronouns was like the first thing I did to kind of open myself up to gender nonconformance in the way I presented. Mm -hmm. And it's very empowering for a lot of people to be able to actually access that. And not to say that like pronouns are great in every way they can be really restrictive especially when they're forced upon you and and you have to like pick one right but for kids who have been misgendered their entire lives actually being referenced by pronouns that make you feel safe and yourself is huge so that's what daniel smith is taking away and i don't think for a second we should believe that she cares about trans kids and non-binary kids I think we have to be clear about this she is restricting them and she does not care about queer youth mm -hmm. yeah so <laughs> I don't know is there anything you want to add to that about like the the pronoun policies I guess because myself I'm not like I'm, I'm cisgendered I'm not really um I don't have the lived experience that comes with being trans or gender fluid but this is just such an obvious case of control of some over someone's life and over someone's body and over someone's expression. And I think that is rooted in so much that, I don't know, I've tried to fight in terms of like um, women's rights and um, yeah, other justice issues. So it's just a really big reminder I don't know. I don't want to say reminder like it's something flippant, but I just think this is a really obvious case of having to protect each other and be able to support each other because this is not something that communities can fight alone. This is something that we need to really come together over because it is a fight against the control of our bodies and that, I don't know, that is really scary. Yeah. 
it's one of those things where you think it can't happen here until it does. Mm -hmm. And so after this happened in Alberta, after this was announced, I was kind of thinking, you know, Ontario's government is not all that different in terms of its political standings. And I started looking into this and in September, 2023, the Ontario minister of education was asked whether Ontario will implement similar pronoun and name change policies to those of Saskatchewan and New Brunswick. And he responded that parents should be, quote, fully involved, unquote, with their children's life-changing decisions, implying the possibility of these policies being implemented in Ontario. Right. So, like, this is not far-fetched. Yeah. This is a fight that we should all care about because it can always, always happen here. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think the other policies we should also talk about because they're all so egregious um one of the things is that kids are going to have to get parental consent for some forms of critical sex education oh weird especially those related to queer and trans issues and so i think that's absolutely like egregious because like not only is this clearly an attack on gender nonconformance and um sexualities that exist outside of heterosexuality But it's also like preventing kids from accessing a kind of education that's going to be critical to keep them safe, to have safe sex, to actually prevent like really big harms and dangerous situations in their sex lives. And they're not going to be able to learn this at school, the place where they're supposed to be getting the education to prepare them for their futures. Um, And if parents say no, the kid can't access that. Um, Another one is that for a lot of trans women, they're not going to be able to participate in quote-unquote women's sports leagues. And in the explanation of these policies, um, Danielle Smith used a lot of words about biological women like needing to be protected from people who are biologically superior and that kind of rhetoric that has been used again and again, and again to and oppress again. trans women. And it's like, First off, we're talking about children and youth's recreational fucking sports leagues a lot of the times. <laughs> like, are you seriously going to say that you actually are doing this out of competitive fairness? Like, no, not at all. This is clearly just a way to limit trans rights, and this is clearly just a way to make trans girls and trans women unsafe participating in society in their gender. And I also don't think people realize like what this actually means logistically. This means that like children are going to be subject to surveillance on their their bodies in really private areas of their life, and that includes trans girls, and that includes cis girls, and that includes a lot of children that just shouldn't be subject to that at that age or people at any age really. But if you want to talk about children, let's talk about children. And I think logistically people who support this just don't understand like the amount of surveillance this is gonna require um that is just such an invasion into anyone's life yeah um yeah and that to me is also a very scary part of it yeah and i mean the solution that she brought up which i think is insane okay okay is we need to work to have more co-ed sports leagues where trans women can participate 
<laughs> which is not the point. It's like not the point, That's but also point. like if your concern is about girls not having a fair advantage and then you want to create more co-ed sports leagues yeah where people of all genders are playing on this like does she not understand how hypocritical that is but also does she not understand that then you're just creating a binary and you're saying people exempt from that binary people that who don't fit into our current classifications have to be an entirely different league that is segregation like that is overt clear segregation and that is fucking horrendous yeah like I mean, the binarization of sports in and of itself is a huge problem and that needs to be tackled because while having a woman and a boy's team makes it impossible for so many gender non-conforming people to actually feel safe in any sports league. But the idea that you're going to still have a boys, a girls sports team, and then a co-ed sports league for people who like don't, don't fit, fit into that, that or don't yeah. feel comfortable playing in that or who yeah. opt in, quote unquote, to the co-ed league, like that is another level of outing people. Right. Okay, the last and, and, you know, one of the most egregious sections in these proposed policies from Danielle Smith are about gender reassignment um, and affirming care. So I'm just going to read these out. For minors under the age of 17, top and bottom gender reassignment surgeries will not be permitted. For children aged 15 and under, Puberty blockers and hormone therapy for the purposes of gender reassignment or affirmation will not be permitted, with the exception of those who have already commenced treatment at this time. Minors aged 16 and 17 will be permitted to commence hormone therapies for gender reassignment and affirmation purposes as long as they are deemed mature enough to make these decisions and have parental, physician, and psychologist approval. So let's talk about this. In the press conference that Danielle Smith did about this, she focused a lot on gender reassignment surgeries and specifically bottom surgeries that she called quote unquote irreversible. There are almost no cases. I don't think there are any cases in Alberta right now where people under 17 are having bottom reassignment because it is an intensive surgery. Yeah. And so many people won't perform that on minors already. Right. This is not the issue. Right. And so she's making an issue of something that actually isn't exist. The biggest thing that we need to be talking about is that she's making things that are necessary for kids to actually feel secure in their mental health inaccessible. And one of the most egregious things in this policy for me is restriction on hormone blockers. Right. Because she's making it impossible for anyone under the age of 15 to get hormone blockers. I don't know when Danielle Smith went through puberty, but most people go through puberty before the age of 15. And so... If you're going to make it inaccessible for anyone under 15, this is a de facto ban, which is absolutely terrible because so many kids need this to actually prevent irreversible puberty into a body that doesn't align with their gender. Mm. That has so many mental health ramifications. And Danielle Smith kept talking about these irreversible surgeries and medical interventions. So let's talk about this. Puberty blockers are not irreversible. medically proven to have few side effects this is absolutely essential care for so many people and if this is going to be inaccessible under 15 and to many kids 16 and 17 then you're pretty much saying you have to go through puberty into a body that is not your gender deal with it and for many kids that's not possible yeah so I, i i feel like we could go into this more 
but these policies are transphobic. They're queerphobic in every way. And academics and experts have been speaking out about this since they dropped. For example, uh, two professors at Mount Royal University in Alberta wrote an article in the conversation. One of their phrases really struck with me because they called the proposed legislation, quote, the most extensive draconian and unbalanced proposals of any conservative province to date. This was scary to me, not just because it's extensive and draconian, but they used the word to date, which implies that, you know, this, this will, will not continue. stop here. Yeah, right. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I just feel like we all need to be knowing about this and we should all be scared and, and outraged. Yeah. All of these struggles are interconnected. First, they will come for trans rights. They will come for gender nonconforming people, two-spirit people. Then they'll come for bisexual people, gay and lesbian people. They'll come for everybody who is queer. Then they will come for women's rights and they will come for BIPOC rights and they will come for every form of marginalization. This is all interconnected. Hate is all interconnected. And until we actually look for systemic justice, this is going to keep getting worse. So I just think we need to be angry and we need to do something about it. Yeah, and you have been doing... Do you want Do you want to speak to what... Because I know that you've been involved in some actions. I mean... So, like, a lot of people across Canada are on the front lines of this, and I, I'm i so grateful to the people who are doing that. Um, yeah. Daniel Smith came to Toronto last week um, and had an event at the Albany Club, which is, like, a far-right, super-rich okay. club. Okay. So we organized just, like, a protest about her being here day of. Day of it started being organized. We thought maybe we'll get 25 people because, you know, when you do a day of protest, you can't expect yeah. to turn out. We had about a hundred people there. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, which is really That's really heartwarming. I'm that makes me excited to know that there were that many people who showed up day off. Yeah. Yeah. But that being said, it's also always a scary thing because, you know, you arrive at the site to gather and there are already police spanning the entire street. There are many, many police blocking the doors, ready. And um you know, they, they were violent against protesters. They shoved, they pushed, they threatened. Um, many of the speeches that people gave on the megaphone talked about the fact that there was a serial killer years ago in the village in Toronto. And that um, yeah, the chief of police denied that there was even a serial killer killing gay men until the day before he was caught. You know, Toronto police have a legacy of homophobia. And the police stood there and laughed many of the things we were saying just laughed they they said things like we're gonna get the van they said things like oh these like people like the crazy protesters when people came and heckled us they said we agree with you to the people heckling us like I, I don't know it just like it's a great reminder that like the police are not there to protect us and we have so much work to do but at the end of the day we need to rely on community and that exists we need to build it and support it and find it and I'm ready to do more because I haven't been doing enough on like trans rights protests and direct actions in the past year but I want to be getting back into it um but yeah I think I don't know for everybody the actions that we take look different 
how have you been kind of like protecting your mental health and like dealing with this news in the past week? I think I'm really trying to sort through how to have conversations around this because I think as I understand this this is a product a lot of the time of polarization um, and that can be really hard to address because it means having conversations about topics that are lived and that are really close to home and then have people have a very different idea and background of of that um and so i think i haven't yeah i haven't been involved in direct action yet um or anything related to that but i think it's more in the past week just thinking through why do i how do i understand this connecting to me why is this something that i believe needs to be addressed and resolved and how am i going to i don't know how can i from my place of privilege actually be involved in uh, hopefully closing some bridges where I can because I think yeah it might be easier for my part yeah I think for people who like like there are different levels of safety and and some people can't engage in protests and I think that's like a really important thing to acknowledge not everybody has the privilege of you know a safe citizenship or not having priors and being white and all these kind of things that add to my ability to take action like this so one thing that I wanted to say at the end of the podcast uh, as a guidance or or an idea for people to take action is that there was a petition made by Katie Jones, who is the parent of a trans girl. I just want to quote a news article that documented what um, this parent did. When Jones first heard Alberta's new policies regarding tr- children and LGBTQ plus rights would include banning gender reassignment surgery for those aged under 17 and hormone therapy for children aged 15 and under, she was brought to tears. She immediately started a petition to safeguard transgender children's rights to bodily autonomy in Alberta. The petition was launched on Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. By Friday afternoon, the petition had more than 6,000 signatures. So I... I would encourage everybody to look up this petition. I'll link it um, when we post this episode on the Instagram and in our podcast description. But I think there are many digital actions you can do to add your voice and to raise awareness because all of Canada needs to know about this and we need to keep knowing about this. This cannot fade from the news unnoticed. This policy needs to be stopped before it is implemented Mm -hmm. because it would be deadly. Let's not like mince words. It would be deadly. Yeah. Is there anything you want to add before we hop off? No, I'm just really grateful that you brought this. Thank you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much <laughs> for listening. Um, I hope, yeah, I hope you learned a lot and I hope you feel like there's some way that you can go forward. Yeah. I also think um, if anybody's listening to this and like wants to chat with us about ways that we can do more or other yeah. things we can talk about and post, like, please reach out. This is not something that I want to let go by. There's something where we want tangible, tangible actions um, to be taken. So, all right. Mm -hmm. See you guys later. Bye. Bye.